What's up? This is Jonathan Smith, your host here at Shooting the Schmidt. I hope you're having a fantastic day. Sorry I wasn't here on Friday. I was sick. Couldn't do a pod. I feel bad. Um, if you missed the pick, I post those every week on my Substack, which is linked below. So you can always go there and find those picks if for some reason a podcast doesn't come out on Friday. Those picks usually come out Friday morning and Saturday morning. Friday's college football. Saturday is the NFL. So once again, sorry that I missed on Friday. I was sick. Didn't see it coming. Today, though, we've got a loaded podcast. we got a lot going on in the NFL and in college football. Let's not wait any longer. Let's get to it. Here we go. Sunday, and I I have to be honest, heading into the NFL weekend, seeing that the Chiefs, Dolphins, and Eagles were all three on a bye, I was like, you know what, whatever, that many crazy things can't happen, but I've walked away from watching football yesterday with many, many thoughts, and so I'm going to try and get through them as quickly as I can, I think I've got like four, some of them are going to be more long-winded than others, so let's get into them. First, my first thing coming away, is Justin Herbert the next Aaron Rodgers? A quarterback with a ton of talent, but his bad coaches and an organization that can't build around him. Justin Herbert is a great quarterback stuck in an awful situation, just like Aaron Rodgers was in Green Bay. How many times would Aaron Rodgers in Green Bay put up points in the playoffs and important regular season games just to be let down by his defense? Now, Rodgers definitely had games where it was his fault as to why his team lost. Not talking about those games. I'm talking about the games where he'd score 35 points, but his defense would give up 38, and they would lose. Those are the games that I'm talking about. That happened multiple times to Aaron Rodgers throughout his long career in Green Bay. And I'm sitting here, and I'm watching this Chargers team, and I'm like, how is this not the exact same thing? This Chargers defense on Sunday once again let Justin Herbert down by giving up 41 points, despite being the highest-paid defense in the NFL. That's right. There's not a team in the NFL who spends more money on their defense than the Los Angeles Chargers do. Oh, and on top of that, they have a defensive-minded head coach. I just, it's unacceptable. I feel bad for the guy because Justin Herbert's out here balling out and people are attacking him on social media saying he can't get it done in the fourth quarter. The team scored 38 points. That should be more than enough in the NFL. This defense is awful. They're giving up just under three touchdowns a game. That's 25th in the NFL. And they're 24th in points allowed per game at twenty at 24 points a game. That's terrible. It's so, so bad. I mean, I just, I don't know how you ignore some of these games. Like week one, they're playing the Dolphins. The Chargers score 34 points. That should be enough to win. But they give up 36. They play the Titans, the Ryan Tannehill quarterback Titans, and they give up 27 in a loss. They give up 24 to the Vikings. Uh, They give up 31 to the Chiefs, and then 41 this, this last Sunday. Anytime they've played even a halfway decent offense, this Chargers defense has been terrible. Brandon Staley has been terrible. He needs to be fired. He should have gotten fired yesterday. And that's another thing that Rodgers and Herbert have in common. Aaron Rodgers played for Mike McCarthy and Matt LaFleur during his time in Green Bay. Both are average coaches at best. Herbert is playing for Brandon Staley, who should have been fired by now, and he played for Anthony Lynn, who didn't last very long. 
The Chargers are currently on pace to waste Justin Herbert the same way that the Packers wasted Aaron Rodgers. <laughs> C.J. Stroud is awesome, but the Panthers have to feel stupid. We now have back-to-back weeks of C.J. Stroud being awesome. And the Panthers, meanwhile, are terrible. Bryce Young doesn't look good. The Texans currently hold the number 7 seed, and they could legitimately make the playoffs as a wild card. They could win that division after the Jags lost on Sunday to the 49ers. They're only a game back. Stroud outplayed Burrow, standing on that. He threw a bad interception late that almost gave the Bengals the game, but he bounced back, and they put together a game-winning drive. It moved his team into field goal range. The fact that a backup kicker was able was able to kick a game winner is just it's hilarious. I think it's fantastic. The NFL is the best. But yeah, CJ Stroud, he looked awesome coming off the big week against the Buccaneers. And the Texans are legitimately good on both sides of the ball. That defense got after Joe Burrow the entire game. They beat the Bengals flat out. The Bengals didn't lose that game. Sometimes, you know, we'll see good teams lose games like the Ravens. We're going to get to them here here in a minute. But the Texans simply went into Cincinnati and outplayed the Bengals. Okay, and one more quick thing here on the Panthers. Bryce Young, he's really struggled, and the Panthers are going to have their first-round pick next year to help him out. The Bears are going to have potentially taken DJ Moore and Caleb Williams from the Panthers, and that is an absolute highway robbery. (coughs) Jordan Love looked better than Kenny Pickett. Coming out of that Steelers-Packers game, I would rather have Jordan Love than Kenny Pickett. Okay, Love made some mistakes. He was like 21 of 40. I know that is not the completion percentage that you want to see, but he pushed the ball down the field. It's his first year as a starter, so it's expected that there are going to be some mistakes. There were a couple drops in there. Kenny Pickett, meanwhile, was Mr. Checkdown. Okay, it's obvious that in year two, Mike Tomlin doesn't trust him. Okay, they ran the ball 36 times and only threw it 23 times. That's very telling. Okay. Meanwhile, Jordan Love extended plays, made some good throws outside the pocket, made some really good throws downfield. The two interceptions don't really bother me. The first one, look, he tried to give his receiver a chance. The defensive back tips it up in the air. The safety was there to pick it off. Sometimes that happens. The second one, it was on the last play of the game. It happens, right? Um, So I'm not too too worried about it. I was really impressed with Jordan Love coming out of that game. Just with some of the big throws that he made down the field. Meanwhile, Kenny Pickett's throwing the ball four yards downfield. I mean, in the NFL, you got to have a guy who can push the ball down the field. And Jordan Love is showing flashes of being able to do that. Um, and people have started writing him off. They started writing Matt LaFleur off. I just think it's his first year as a starter. He was pretty raw coming out of Utah State. right? Even Aaron Rodgers, who sat you know multiple years behind Brett Favre, coming out of Cal, like he was supposed to be the number one overall pick. Like That's what he was supposed to be. Obviously, he falls really, really far in the draft. Jordan Love was not as highly touted as Aaron Rodgers was coming out of college. And so to expect him to come out and be great in his first year as the as the starter, just like Aaron Rodgers was great in his first year as the starter, it's a little ridiculous. I think it's an unfair expectation. But he's shown flashes that he can be a starter. If I'm Green Bay, I would be very pleased with what he's shown so far, and I would let him come back next year and be the starter. <coughs> the Ravens collapsed against the Browns. They were up 31-17. to with 11 and a half minutes left to go in the first quarter, and then the Browns scored 16 unanswered points to win 33-31. to Before I get to the Ravens, Sean Watson was 14 for 14 in the second half for like 140 yards passing against one of the best defenses in the NFL. 
really impressive. I think this is a monumental game for Deshaun Watson. I know nobody likes him for fair reasons, but he was really good in the second half, and we need to acknowledge that. And if he gets it going for this Browns team, they're going to be really, really hard to beat. Now let's let's get to the Ravens. In the last two seasons, the Ravens have blown six double-digit leads. That is the most in the NFL. How does a team that runs the ball better than anyone else blow that many double-digit leads? It's a, it's a legitimate question, and I don't know the answer to it. Part of me wants to blame the coaching. Another part of me wants to blame Lamar Jackson. And another part of me wants to blame the defense. Now, obviously, when you blow leads like this, it is a collection of all three. So let's work through, through all three options and assess the blame where it should go. When it comes to coaching, they should run the ball more in the second half when they're up big. Okay, they have the number one rushing offense in the NFL. They have one of the best rushing offenses in the NFL last year. And they have multiple players within their run game who can bust big runs and you can blink and they're in the end zone. Lamar Jackson and Keaton Mitchell are those two guys. Keaton Mitchell only touched the ball four times against the Browns. He needs more touches. Every time he touches the ball, something good seems to happen. The fact that he only got four touches yesterday is inexcusable, and John Harbaugh and this coaching staff have to do a better job of allowing him to make big impacts on the game. They didn't let him do that. When it comes to the defense, the defense has to be better. I know that against the Browns, six of the points came off of a pick six, uh, but this was the issue when, that when they were blowing leads last year. The secondary has to be better later in games. They have the talent to do it, and they play well through the first three quarters. It just has to be done in the fourth quarter as well. I don't care if they rush three and they drop eight and they run the football a whole bunch just to bleed the clock. I don't care. But they have to find a way to hold on to these leads, and the defense has to do their part in that. And finally, Lamar Jackson in this offense has to score. That's always an option. If you're up 14 and you match them touchdown for touchdown, they're not going to be able to come back and win. It's just the way math works. It doesn't happen. Okay, and Lamar coming off coming off of an offseason where he got paid, I mean, he has to be better. In wins, we praise the quarterback, so in losses, we have to criticize them. That's sadly how this works. Every single play, this is something so unique about Lamar Jackson. He, he can he can he can score a touchdown every single play, okay? With his ability to scramble or when they run the read option, I mean, every time he touches the football, he has an opportunity to score or make a big play, and he didn't do that against the Browns. It is what sets him apart from every single other quarterback in the NFL. As much as I love Patrick Mahomes, and as much as Patrick Mahomes is the best quarterback in the NFL, like you're not going to blink and look up and see that Patrick Mahomes ripped off a 60-yard touchdown run like Lamar Jackson can do. And Lamar just didn't make the big plays in the fourth quarter against the Browns. That's simply what happened. After the pick six, he could have responded with points, but instead they gained 16 yards on six plays, and they punted. He was one of three for 11 yards. That's it. That's not good enough from a guy who's getting paid a lot of money. He has to be better in order for this Ravens team to win the Super Bowl. This defense has to be better. This coaching staff has to be better because blowing these leads, it's inexcusable. And in an AFC where you're potentially going to have to play the Bengals, who they play on Thursday night in the playoffs, that's a team that can carve you up. When you, If you have to play Miami, that's another team that can carve you up late in games. We saw them do it last year, right, when two or three, you know, five touchdown passes in the fourth quarter or, or whatever it was, right? Uh, Patrick Mahomes, that's another guy who can obviously carve up 
the Ravens in the fourth quarter. And if Lamar isn't able you know, to respond with more scores or if this defense can't get a couple stops, I, how, how are they going to win the Super Bowl? I mean, they look like the best team, but they got to finish games. If they don't finish games, then they're going to have another disappointing season in Baltimore. We're going to take a short break. When we come back, we're going to get into college football. Can't wait to get into it. A lot happened on Saturday. I watched all of it. Can't wait to get into it. We're going to take a short break, and we'll be more shooting the Schmidt. And we're back with more shooting the Schmidt. Got to get into college football. I'm just going to give you my top 12 because that's just the easiest way to cover all of the important things that happened. So let's start at the top. Number 12, same spot as last week, Oklahoma. Two losses, but they do have that big win over Texas. Uh, lost to a good Kansas team. Lost to a good Oklahoma State team, right? So I'm going to leave them there at 12. I just I just couldn't justify putting anybody else in front of them with that big win over Texas. Number 11, Louisville. They lost to Pitt, who only has two wins on the year. Their two best wins are over Notre Dame and Duke, both teams who are no longer ranked. And so it was really hard to justify putting them over Oregon State and Missouri, who I have at 10-9. and Um, When we look at Oregon State, they do have two losses. Missouri also has two losses, which is more than Louisville. But the point of rankings is to rank the best teams, not the most deserving teams. So if Louisville was to play Oregon State or Missouri, I would pick Missouri and Oregon State to both beat Louisville. We look at Oregon State. They have losses to Washington State and Arizona. Arizona right now, that's a good football team. Washington State kind of fallen off since they beat Oregon State. And they beat Utah. Like, they beat them 21-7. That's that's a good win. Utah's a good football team, even though Cam Rising isn't playing. Them having the better win than Louisville, I'm going to put them in front of Louisville at 10. Number 9, Missouri. They definitely have to be in front of Louisville and Oregon State. Their two losses are to LSU and Georgia. Georgia, the best team in the country, spoiler alert, and LSU, a top 20 team in, a top 20 team in college football. Both of their losses were close. They beat Kansas State and Tennessee, two ranked football teams. Even though Kansas State may have fallen out. Either way, those are two really good teams that people have respect for. Those are two better wins than Oregon State or Louisville have, and their two losses are definitely better than both of those teams as well. Then, after Missouri, we have the line of deserving teams that hasn't moved. I still think that there are eight teams that, quote-unquote, deserve to be in the college football playoff. Um, but in terms of the four best, we're going to get to that here in a minute. Number eight, Alabama hasn't moved. Uh, their only loss is to Texas. That happened earlier in the year. They look great. They trounced Kentucky. Uh, wouldn't be surprised if they beat Georgia at this point. Okay, Jalen Milrow really appears to have figured some things out on the offensive side of the ball. He's throwing it well. He's making plays with his legs. Alabama looks really, really good. We know what that defense is, and it is nasty. Hard to keep them below eight. Number seven, Texas. Their only loss is to Oklahoma, and when Quinn Ewers comes back, this is a team that should absolutely be feared. Um, Hard to ignore them at this point in the year. The offense we know is explosive. We know Coach Sark is a really good football coach. We know the offense can put up points. The defense has done just enough. Even when you look at that OU game, there were some weird turnovers and things of that nature. That's why they lost. Uh, But Texas, that's a really good football team who, as I said, should undoubtedly be feared moving forward. Number six, Ohio State. Still have them here at six. I know that they're undefeated. Their best win is Penn State, who proved to us on Saturday that they aren't very good. Okay, They beat a Penn State team who can't move the football. Uh, They beat Notre Dame, who's no longer ranked. Their good wins don't look good anymore. They just, they don't. 
and I think all five of the teams that I have ranked in front of them would beat them, and that is the point of these rankings. Who are the best teams in college football? Because we want the best four. That is, That was the entire advertisement going into the era that has been you know, the college football playoff. This is year 10, I believe, year 9, year 10. And since the committee doesn't want to put the four best teams in, I'm going to do it. And that's why you listen to me, because you know that in your heart of hearts that I'm going to put the four best teams in the playoff. So, Ohio State at six. I get that they're undefeated, um, but as I said, those good wins have kind of lessened over these past few weeks with Penn State's loss and Notre Dame continuing to drop games as well. Five, Florida State. They're undefeated as well, and I, I moved them down from four. Their best wins are against LSU and Duke. LSU, still a good win. That's a that's a really good football team. Duke, obviously, not, not ranked anymore. Part of that having to do with you know, Riley Leonard being in and out of the lineup, you know, with that ankle injury. But I would say the more concerning thing for Florida State is they haven't blown the bad teams out. They haven't done it. Uh, Unlike every team in front of them that has blown out the bad teams, Um, like Georgia blows out the bad teams, Michigan definitely blows out the bad teams, so on and so forth. Um, So that's why I've got them at five. Uh, Their best win, LSU, outside of that, a bunch of meh. Um, and as I said, they're not blowing up the bad teams. Number four, Oregon. I've wanted to do this for a while. Okay, I've just I've been waiting, and I've I've I felt like I had, they had to do something for me to justify it happening. But then I reminded myself, it's about the four best teams. Is Oregon one of the four best teams in the country? I don't see how you say no. Okay, they crushed Utah on the road. They beat USC on Saturday. They are one of the most complete teams in the country. Okay, they held USC to 27 points. That is wildly impressive. And I'm tired of ranking them outside of the top four when I think that they're one of the four best teams in the country. Bo Nix is playing great football. Dan Lanning is coaching great football. That defense is nasty, and it is SEC speed fast. Okay, we got to remember, Dan Lanning, was it Georgia? He knows what great defenses look and move like. And Oregon's defense looks and moves like a great defense. They are very complete. They've got guys on the offensive on the offensive side of the ball who can go score in the blink of an eye. They are fast. They are physical. Bo Nix has been there. He's won a lot of games. Oregon has to be in the top four because they are one of the four best teams in the country. Number four, or excuse me, number three, Washington. They sneak out a win against Utah. They're undefeated, and I can't wait till they play Oregon in the Pac-12 championship game because i, I got to be honest. I think Oregon's going to beat them, but... Washington beat them earlier in the season. So because of that, I have to rank them in front. But Oregon, they're nasty. Washington, that's a team that can score a lot of points. Don't love their defense, but they do just enough. And when your offense is that good, you don't have to have a great defense. You just have to have an average defense, right? So, And that is what Washington has. Um, tough to root against them. They're fun. They're fast. They're high-flying. They put up a lot of points. Two great receivers, Michael Penix Jr., you know, Going to be an NFL quarterback here at some point. So, Washington at three, you guys saw that coming. And then two and one, you already know who I have. Number one, I've got Georgia. They're peaking at the right time. They crushed Ole Miss. And Ole Miss, that's a really good football team. And Brock Bowers didn't even have a good game. He had three receptions. That's it. And I think one of the best things for Georgia this year was Bowers missing a couple games. Um, it, Honestly, it might have been the best thing for them. They had to lean on other guys. Other guys had to step up. They were able to see what they had beyond Brock Bowers because before Bowers got hurt, 
that offense was about running the football and throwing it to Brock Bowers. But Bowers goes down. They have receivers step up. They don't have one like, oh, this receiver is absolutely incredible like they did with George Pickens a couple years ago. But they've got multiple guys who can make you know plays and are reliable options. And it's good for Carson Beck to have to throw, the, to, have to, throw to those guys and to build that trust between them. Now, they still have the emergency the emergency blanket in Brock Bowers, one of the best players in football. But now, Carson Beck has trust in those other receivers as well. That is going to be huge for them heading into the playoffs, heading into their game against Alabama. Because you know what Alabama is going to do. They're going to do everything they can to take away Brock Bowers. And if there's a defense in the country that can do it, it's Alabama and Nick Saban. And so Carson Beck having thrown the ball to these other guys a little bit more now, that is going to be huge for them going forward. Number two, Michigan. I want to close on this. I want to talk about the suspension. I haven't talked about it a ton. I haven't really talked about the investigation because I just got to be honest. I don't think it. I don't think it's that big of a deal. I don't. Okay. I know there's a lot of evidence against them. There's no evidence that John Harbaugh knew that. Uh, that that Harbaugh knew about it. Okay. Um, before I hit on the suspension, though, let me talk about the game real quick. They looked awesome against Penn State. I thought they'd win because of J.J. McCarthy but they won because they dominated the line of scrimmage offensively. They ran the ball 46 times. They only threw it eight times. Just a dominant performance from that offensive line and from those two running backs for the Wolverines. That's a really, really good football team. I thought the defense played extremely well, too. Okay, let's talk about Harbaugh and and the suspension. I think what the Big Ten did to John Harbaugh is absolutely despicable. Look, I don't like Michigan. I don't like Harbaugh. I don't really like the Big Ten in general. But Michigan's a good team. And even when I don't like somebody, I'm still very capable of being able to point out things that were done wrong. Okay? So, first of all, the punishment is not that big of a deal. He can coach literally every day except for Saturday. He doesn't call plays on either side of the ball. So, it's a slap on the wrist punishment. This is because Ohio State and these other schools put pressure on the Big Ten to do something to to, to Michigan, right? Because they're stealing signs and all that kind of stuff, even though a lot of teams do this, and it's not that big of a deal. So, you know, there's this slap on the wrist punishment. But the the issue that I have is I think that the Big Ten should have waited until the NCAA finished their investigation. And if they didn't want to wait, they shouldn't have you know, put the suspension on Harbaugh the day before a game on a federal holiday where Michigan couldn't appeal it. Because that's what's going to happen. Michigan is going to appeal the, appeal the suspension while they're looking it over, putting it under rule. Harbaugh's going to coach, and it's not going to be that big of a deal. We're going to move on, whatever. But the fact that they did it the day before a game on a federal holiday so Michigan couldn't appeal it, I think is ridiculous and low. That's That's low. I just, yeah, that's that's really all that there is to it. Because like I said, the punishment is not that big of a deal. He's coaching literally every other day of the week. And as they showed on Saturday, they don't exactly need him. So that's going to do it here at Shooting the Schmidt. Thank you so much for taking the time out of your day to listen. Uh, check out the Substack. A lot of stuff going up on there that isn't on the podcast. Once again, that is linked in the description. Make sure you like, follow, subscribe, whatever you're supposed to do on whatever you know platform you're listening on. Uh, And I'll be back again on Wednesday with another podcast for you. I will talk to you then.